Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that you did. Today's episode features Georgina Gooley. She's the co-founder of Billy. If you don't know what Billy is, it's a really interesting razor company made for women. Um, if you're on social media, I'm sure you've seen their ads. And Georgina was um, counting down four weeks until she had her first baby. So um, off air, we had a nice conversation about what to expect, I guess, when you're expecting. <laughs> um, so I hope you enjoy her episode. And if you missed last week's episode, it features Essence Gant. She's a senior beauty editor at BuzzFeed. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hello, everybody. I am super excited to be sitting with Georgie Gooley. She is the co-founder of Billy. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be sitting with you here. Um, the first question is a really easy one. How will you be spending your day today? So I just finished um, a board meeting. Um, so, uh, you know, looking at Q4 of last year and the rest of the day will be we have a couple of interviews, some internal meetings, just moving projects along. Is that a typical day? Yeah. A typical day is, you know, looking at every aspect of the business, prioritizing what's the most important thing to tackle um, that day, and then, and then trying to move it forward. And how long are your work days? Um, probably somewhere between 10, 11 could be 12. Um, Are all those hours in the office? Probably about 10 hours in the office and then picking up bits and bobs mm -hmm. um, either early in the morning or later at night. And is that um, a rhythm that feels really natural to you now? Um, the 10 hours in the office feels pretty natural um, now, but yeah, it, it does make it hard to like squeeze in other things, um, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening. Yeah. You are in the stage of living and breathing. Yeah. Really. I mean, this is, you know, we're an early company, so you are sort of pouring your heart and soul into building the company. Um, we have, you know, our team is about 15, 16 people now. We're looking to expand. And so, you know, even, even just getting up to speed and, re and recruiting and all of that takes a lot of time. But, you know, the goal is, you know, have more people that can help you out. Right. 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 So, um, Let's talk about your career. What was your first job out of college? So my first job out of college was um, I did a I did an, a PR internship um, while I was at college, um, and that was um, I'm originally from Australia, so that was at the city of Sydney, um, working on the media relations side of the city's activities. So. New Year's Eve, Christmas, Chinese New Year's, all the sort of um, activities and events that the city puts on. Um, I was part of the media relations. And then after college, my first job was at an advertising agency. So um, in Sydney um, called DDB. Um, and I was there for about three years before moving to New York to work at an agency here. And what account were you on at DDB? I was working on McDonald's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it fun? It was really fun. Um, I had a great team. I've been really lucky that I've had um, really great teams at every every place that I've worked at. Um, but it was a fun team. You know, they were um, excited to do like fun work. You know, playing with Happy Meals and kids and like dip, um, you know going into the nostalgia that's associated with McDonald's. Um, so that was a good you know learning experience. I think 
for for where I was in my career at the beginning, it was really just understanding like production mm -hmm. and how to make commercials and, and and all of that. And were you in account services? Were you creative? What yeah, you so I was in account management. Yeah. And in Australia, is the entry level job called assistant account executive? Um, we were called business coordinators. Oh, okay. Yes. And then you went to business uh, executive, account manager. Yeah. Slightly different, but yeah, account coordinator, business coordinator. I was an assistant AE, um, my first job out of yeah. college at BBDO in New York, working on Visa credit cards, right. which was like a big account. Yeah. It was a fun account. And a lot of women on the account too. Which was yeah. Cool. Yeah. We had a pretty female heavy account team. And um, was McDonald's the type of account where it's like you're always in production, you're always like. Yeah. So, you know, they're advertising every day of the year. Um, so you're always in some, you know, in strategic development for a campaign and in production for another campaign. Um, in, in Australia, they were a big advertiser. So, um, so yeah, so they, you know, there was lots of production dollars to play with. And um, why did you take your first job in that business? So I really liked um, the idea of advertising. Um, from a, quite a young age, um, I actually, um, was in a few as like a child was in a few um, commercials myself and oh, really? just 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 little little That's parts so like fine. nothing nothing glamorous or anything <laughs> were you like five like how old were you yeah like five or even going into teenage years um and just being on set um where the commercials were being made and seeing the storyboards up on the wall and seeing the whole like back of house process mm -hmm. That really got me interested in advertising, and I liked this idea of, you know, bringing a strategy to life through a creative means. Um, and then I started to think about, you know, how come some brands really resonate with some consumers, why other brands fall flat, and just really understanding that relationship between brand and consumer. Um, but that all really started through just being exposed to a few commercial sets. That's so awesome. I would imagine that as a kid, it would be so fascinating to see how a commercial gets made, right? Yeah. The center of it. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was like bringing, bringing to life magic. Do you remember any of the commercials that you were in, like that they were advertising? Um, oh, you know, one was like shoes. Uh -huh. Another one would be like face cream. Just little, little things, little side parts. Um, I think there was like a music video at one point. Um, but just as an extra, it was just fun to be on set and see how everything sort of came to life. Right. So um, I'm curious because we produce for the agency all the time. Um, who on set was like the most like? commanding to you? Was it the director? Was it um, an agency person, a client person? Do you remember who sort of like got your attention just from a curiosity perspective? Um, well, the person you're interacting with the most is the director because they're giving you immediate feedback on what to do on camera. But, um, but I was always very curious of the group of people that were sitting <laughs> behind the monitor and looking at the storyboards and checking off each of the frames. Um, and, you know, making sure that we're capturing all the pieces of content to pull together one message. Um, and I think as, you know, as I sort of grew up in, in, in teenage years, that sort of became more prevalent. And I really liked, yeah, I really liked something, you know, taking it from paper and bringing it to life. Well, you're one of those people behind the monitor now. Well, yes. You know, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, that sort of dictated what I, what I went to go on to study at university. I did media and communications, focusing on marketing. 
And then when I graduated, I knew I wanted to get into the advertising space. So after DDB, is that when you moved to New York? Yes. And what did you move to New York with a job? Yeah, so I moved um, and I worked at an agency called BBH New York um, and worked on a number of clients there um, in fashion, um, in video games. Um, and, and yeah, that was another good experience. I think the first agency job that I had was very production focused. The second one was more about crafting the strategy um, and all the work that goes into before you bring it to life in production. Um, and so I was at that agency for two years, and then I actually moved to the West Coast um, to Wyden and Kennedy in Portland, Oregon. Um, and and there I worked for three years. Um, I worked on Old Spice. Oh, that's a fun one too. Yeah, yeah. So it was really fun. Um, was super fortunate to you know be surrounded by really smart, great people um, at every job really, um, and you know people that were very passionate about creating you know ads or campaigns that really resonated with people um, you know there's so much there's so much advertising out there it's all clutter so how can you create something that people actually remember and care about and, and like so tell us what's the answer <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's just really trying to marry you know what is your product and what do you stand for as a brand and then what's happening in culture and who your consumer is um, and ha where is that sort of sweet spot or that middle ground where, um, you know, you as a brand have a right to say something and they actually care about. Um, and so that's a, that takes a lot of research and sort of knowing who at the core, what you stand for as a brand, what the product you're delivering, how that sort of helps the consumer and then what the consumer cares about. It's a lot of research and then, you know, you, you trial and you test different things, but hopefully you can sort of hit a nerve and people people really care about what you're building. So let's segue into Billy. Yes. So you had the job in Portland and then after that job you started working on Billy. Yes. So how long has this been an idea in your head? Yeah, so I, you know, I was shaving with men's razors for um, for many years actually because I was very aware of the pink tax, um, which is... Um, you know, this crazy pricing strategy where they charge women um, 10 or 15% more um, for a very similar product just because we're women. Um, so out of principle, I was actually buying men's razors. And seeing that there were a few companies coming up in the startup space, but only tailoring to men and giving men a more, a, a more affordable shave experience. Um, and But it wasn't really until I came back to New York, I met my co-founder, Jason Bravman, and he had been playing in this space as well. And sort of the obvious question was, how come no one's doing this for women? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, new chapter in my life, um, I thought this, we should do something, we should, we should both do something about this. So we came together towards, you know, the end of 2016 and really started to build Billy. Um, we basically built it for over a year and then we launched in November of 2017. And how did you meet him? We met through a mutual friend. Um, so I was moving back to New York. He was based here in New York. Um, a mutual friend put us in touch. Um, we had both been dabbling in this space. Um, and, yeah, it was just, it was, you know, something that I think sometimes the stars align and something happens. That's cool. Yeah. And what does Billy mean? Billy, so, I mean, Billy is a, like a female first shave and body brand. Um, and so we deliver razors. 
um, and body care products um, to people through a, an affordable subscription. The name itself, um, it's a unisex name that we really fell in love with. Um, when we looked at the shaving category, most shaving women's shaving brands have been spun out of men's brands. And so the most obvious thing to do is give it a women's name, slap some pink on it, probably charge more for it, um, and, and, and call it a day. And so what we wanted to do was find a name that was a unisex name. We, f we fell in love with Billy because 100 years ago, even the way it's spelt, it was predominantly a man's name. And it's now been one of those names that's like been taken over by women, which is what we hope to do in the shaving category. I always, well, you think you're a little young for this, but there was this show, Who's the Boss? Yeah. With Lisa Milano when I was younger. Yeah. And um, her character was Samantha Maselli, but they called her Sam. And I always loved the idea of like a girl having a name that's typically a boy's name, but right. it's also a girl's name. It's like always really smitten by it. Yeah. Yeah. So we were playing with a few different unisex names, um, but just really liked Billy. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So, um, okay, I want to talk about the entrepreneurial experience yes. because um, it is unlike anything else. And um, some might think it's insanity and some might find it as an adventure. Um, do you it's feel both. Like it's both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you have to truly believe in what you are building because, um, you know, often you're, there's no proof that it's going to work. And so you have to, you know, have that gut feeling that all, you know, you're going to throw yourself at this thing and, um, you know, all the hours that you spend um, building it up and putting all your like heart and soul into it, um, it's going to come into fruition. Um, so I think having that deep sense of conviction is, is super important. And then basically the grit to just see it through um, because, you know, you'll come up against lots of challenges. It's not easy. You haven't proven yourself, so you're the one that really has to has to push it forward. So, did you and Jason always feel like it's gonna happen someday? It's gonna work, or were there moments where you're like, "What are we doing?" No, I think we always believed in this market. So, we we always felt that there were just as many. I mean, there were just as many women as there are men. They're shaving. I don't understand why all these companies are so focused on the male consumer, and everyone is just treating women in this category as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. um, and, but when no one had done it before, the, the question you always are up against is like, well, there must be a reason why no one had done it before. And we just sort of felt that there wasn't. There wasn't a good reason. We hadn't heard one. Um, we, we spoke to many women. I was buying men's razors. You know, it was just, it didn't make sense to us. And it just felt that no one had taken the time or the energy to prioritize women in this category. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we were going to do. Um, and, you know, we've had an incredible launch and, you know, we're sort of 15 months in now. But, you know, by day two of our launch, we had sold to all 50 states. That's cool. By like month four, we had reached our 12-month goals. So there was really a demand there, but no one was addressing it. Everyone was very focused on the male consumer, giving them a better experience or a more affordable experience. So... Anytime a woman came into play in this category, it was always like, oh, and we'll get to them later. Interesting. So I would think that the hardest thing about that year that you're in development was hoping and praying that someone else wasn't going to do this first. Yeah. So we were very, you know, we were gung-ho to, to sort of get to market first, um, make sure that, 
you know, we obviously wanted to, to launch with a really great product. We wanted to design it specifically for the way women shave. We spoke to many, many women, did many surveys to like make sure we were crafting the right product um, that was, you know, that, that was for the way they shaved in the shower, but, but trying to do that at lightning speed. Um, so, so yeah, so you're putting in a lot of hours, a lot of energy um, to make that happen. And is this a self-funded company? No. So we, so again, we were, we were raising money along the way. Um, but I think the best way to raise money is really to show progress mm -hmm. and say, you know, have those open like conversations with people. But then, you know, when you're checking back in two months later, we, you know, last time we spoke, we were here, now we're here. And showing progress was honestly the best fundraising strategy. Um, so we... Oh, so your first meetings were, this is what we plan on doing, yeah. and then you did check-ins? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or just follow-ups, you know, keeping, the, like, keeping conversations alive. Um, but, you know, we, we were two first-time founders. Um, this was a market that a couple of, you know, men's brands had been in, but no one was doing it for women. So they really wanted to see, like, can, can you do something here? Um, but since then, we've, we've raised... Um, you know, significant amount of money. Um, we just actually announced our Series A raise. We raised 25 million. Oh my God, Mazel, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so just super excited, super excited that like all the- Are you dancing up and down? Like seriously, like what does that feel like? Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you put your heart and soul into this. So it, it is really, um, you know, gratifying um, to see that other people see that the, there is the opportunity that you always believed in, right? Um, but then, you know, we're very busy all the time. So it's kind of like, right, like we have that, we celebrate. And then like, how are we going to build the business from there? How do you celebrate that? Um, I mean, we celebrate it with the team. Um, and, and yeah, we just like, it just becomes, we're still a small team. So it's very much, um, you know, just acknowledging that everyone's hard work, um, rewarding people for that hard work. Um, and then, and then sort of figuring out where to go through but like, do you like jump on the bed when you get home? Like, <laughs> how do you how do you take that energy and that feeling of success personally? Like, what did you do with it personally? Um, well, I think you know it, it doesn't happen just like that. It is a process, and so um, I think when you know it finally closed, um, it was right before the holidays, and so it was just honestly a moment to like reflect and um, decompress because you have all this like pent up energy. Um, and so it was actually quite nice because we did have that holiday break. And so you could just kind of sit with it and absorb and then sort of come back in the new year and, and sort of figure out, right, now this is phase two of Billy. How are we going to use those proceeds to build great products and, you know, have more customers and grow the team and all of that. I feel like dancing on the bed for you. <laughs> Thank you. it's really, I mean, doing what you're doing is really hard. Um, being responsible for other people's money in the situation that you're in, right, is really scary. Yeah. Um, it's a responsibility. It's a responsibility, absolutely. Um, so I will just dance on the bed tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Because I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you're going from at the beginning, people being like, why hasn't anyone done this in the women's space, to this is um, pretty amazing. And when you were meeting investors for the first time, were there people like, no, that's not a good idea? I mean, you meet lots of people and everyone has an opinion. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously you want to partner with investors that believe in your vision, believe that there's an opportunity, believe in the brand that you want to build. 
Um, but there will be people along the way that, you know, either you don't see eye to eye or, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but that's just, it's like dating. <laughs> you got to find the right partner. Right. Um, so did you have, did you or Jason ever have fundraising experience? Because this is, you know, a, a big thing to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, so no, this is bo- both our first company together um, and separately. Um, so, you know, we, you know, I mean, it started pre-launch, you're, you have an idea of what you want to do. And so you, you meet a lot of people. And obviously, the, as you launch, you then have metrics that you can share and show your success, it becomes easier to have those conversations. Um, because you're, you're showing actual data versus just a vision. Um, and yeah, so those, those conversations evolve as the company sort of matures as well. Um, but you have a lot of them over the, over the years. Okay, so tell me your first shaving memory. So I begged my mom uh, to to shave my legs. I think I had watched, you know, one of those '90s like rom com movies, um, and the shaving the shaving shot was part of the getting ready routine, uh-huh. um, where it was very glamorized. She puts eyeshadow on, shaves her legs, gets ready to go out. Um, and it just looked very sort of adult and glamorous. And so I think I was about 13 years old at that point, And I asked my mom and she was resistant at first because, you know, she, she maybe didn't want her little girl to grow up. Um, but I think eventually, maybe after like two weeks of begging, I, I shaved my legs. And what did she give you to shave with? Um, I think she might have given me like my dad's like a new one of my dad's razors or something like that um there's something that we had lying around the house um and i just remember yeah shaving my legs and being like super proud to wear like shorts or a skirt or whatever i was wearing that day my memory is um i remember being at camp and hanging out with some of the girls who were like a little bit older than me like a year or two and they were shaving right and i remember asking and i'm sure she said no a thousand times mm-hmm. and then eventually she acquiesced and um my mom gave me her electric razor oh right and i just remember it being like this isn't more it shortened the hair yeah Um, but then i moved on to you know those like baggies of disposable razors they're like really poor quality i did that's just the next thing i moved on to i had no idea that there was anything better than that until i was like in my 20s and i had a friend who i was like why are you using that yeah i don't know yeah i it it when you go from like a disposable like two three blade razor to one that's actually designed for comfort um so, like, so for example, the Billy Razor has like, it's 360 degrees um, with aloe shave soap around the blades. Um, so, you know, wherever you're going, you have that extra like lubrication. Mm-hmm. It's like a dream compared to like dragging a blade against your skin. Well, I used to cut my legs a lot. Yeah. I just didn't, you know, it, there weren't like a lot of brands speaking to right. this, right? And there was no social media back then. So you just thought that was part of the experience. That's normal. It's like shaving a bit of blood. <laughs> but I do, this friend who asked me, I remember her like looking at her legs and being like, oh my God, like she doesn't look like she has any hair on her legs. And now I understand why she just had better tools. Right. Yeah. Um, But I'm not like a daily shaver. I'm yeah. like, let the stubble pile up and then I'll get around to right. it. What are you? I'm a daily shaver, um, just out of habit, and I just like that real, like, freshly shaved um, feel. Um, you know, I'll shave and then I'll put some moisturizer on. Um, so even if it's just a little, it's just now it's so easy. I just, like, 
boop, boop, and, 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 and so, you know, it honestly takes me like 10 seconds. Right. And do you have data like on like the percentage of your customers who are daily shavers versus people like me who are just sort of when we get around to it? Yeah, we, so we have, um, you know, when, when you sign up with Billy, um, one of the questions is how often do you shave? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think what we, what we knew from our research was women, some women are daily shavers, some, you know, every few days, some once a week, whatever. Um, but there wasn't a one size fits all model. And so we built our business that way. And so if you do every day, um, you know, we'll send you refill pack, a refill pack um, every month, you know, a few times a week, every two months, um, and then every three months is the other one. So, so yeah, I think most people kind of fit in the sort of a few times a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have you learned anything about shaving that you didn't know before you started Billy? Um, I think we just like quantified a lot of things like women shave 10 times the surface area of men, you know, we're obviously going through lots of curves and in little areas like under your arms. So the design, you know, obviously you can shave with a men's product, but when you shave with a women's product, that's designed for the way they shave in the shower, if you have shave cream running down your leg. Um, these little nuances in the product design really make an everyday task a lot more delightful. So um, the aloe shave soap, um, having space between the blades so they don't get clogged with hair or shave cream, having rounded edges so that you're not poking yourself if you're going under your arms. Um, just the nuances, I think getting really technical, seeing how women like actually hold the handle so that they have that secure grip. Is that um, different than how men hold their handles? Yeah, so men are shaving their uh -huh. face and often in front, and so they're holding it versus women who are often shaving right, like that. Dragging we're dragging right. it. Right, so I'm, I'm just putting, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm putting my hand up to my face and I'm actually like not, I'm not like, you're kind of, no, right? yeah. It's very relaxed wrist. Yeah. Um, whereas women often have their index finger on the handle and their thumb on the corner for that, that control. Right. Um, and then, you know, even where we keep our razor, so we keep it often in the shower, um, there was, we asked women, you know, where do you keep it? And they said in the shower, I would use a holder, but those suction cups never work, they fall right. down. So we wanted to design, you know, a, a magnetic holder where we put it on the we put it on the wall with power putty, and then the handle attaches through magnetic force, but it, it stays up there. Um, and that was just solving a very simple problem, but no one had done that before. Everyone everyone using suction cups, um, and they just they just fall down. So your eraser ends up in the shower puddle. <laughs> Mine just gets like knocked off of whatever shelf. Always, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Okay, this is exciting. So tell me, in your first year and a half, it's been a year and a half. Oh, uh, like fifteen months. Okay. Um, what's been the most surprising part of the entrepreneurial journey for you? The most surprising, well, when you're, when you, you've spent a year kind of planning the launch, it's like almost like planning a party for a year. Mm -hmm. And then the day it launches, you're like, is anyone going to show up? <laughs> Are they going to have fun? Um, and so I think the customer's reaction to us um, has really been the most satisfying part of this whole experience. Um, you know, that they love the brand, that they vouch for the product, that they tell their friends and family, like just that sort of virality that we've created. Um, I think that's been the most exciting part of it. Um, and, you know, like that, that, that's the goal, right? You, you hope for it, but you can do everything in the world to hope for it, but until it happens, 
Um, I think that's been the most exciting part of the journey. And what keeps you up at night? You know, I think, honestly, there's just so much we have to do on a daily basis. So it's really about being disciplined and prioritizing and putting your energy where, um, you know, in areas that will grow the business the most. Um, I think I recently saw someone, um, someone's quote about don't let urgent get in the way of important, um, which I really, it really um, stood out to me. And I think that's a really good philosophy to take because, you know, your to-do list is never ending. It will never, ever end. It's forever. Um, but that doesn't mean everything on there has equal priority. Mm-hmm. And what is your dream for Billy beyond what you've already accomplished? Yeah, I, you know, I just want, you know, I want Billy to be a household name. I want women like around you know, the States and uh, the beyond to just like really identify with the brand, really love it, be proud to have Billy products in, in their household. I want to be able to like go into any girlfriend's um, bathroom and peek into their shower or their medicine cabinet and not be surprised that Billy is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I want it to be, you know, everything that we're doing is to create a really accessible brand, um, clean products that work really well, um, that you can afford to adopt into your everyday lifestyle. I think sometimes you get these brands where, you know, they're a great product or whatnot, but you know, they're really expensive. So you get them as a gift versus actually adopting into your everyday sort of grooming routine. Um, and that's, so that's the dream. Right. But what you've done, which is, I think the magic is you've given a product people can afford. Um, you've given them pride of purchase. Like they're really proud, right? right? They're part of your team. Yeah. Right. And um, they're not doing it because they, it's the only product they can afford, they're doing it because they want to. Right. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think that's the importance of building a company that's not just about trying to sell as much product as possible, but really standing for something meaningful. And for us, you know, from the very beginning, we were aware that this pink tax exists, so we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were pricing ourselves not only half the price of what you would find in a drugstore, but in line with those affordable men's razor subscriptions. So eliminating the pink tax from this category. This category is one of the worst for the pink tax. Um, And then, you know, how we were having this relationship with women, you know, instead of shaming them for having body hair, sort of saying, you know, we sell razors, but it's up to you if you want to use them. You shouldn't feel like you have to, to fit a, you know, a a beauty standard that's been um, mainstreamed. So, so we did Project Body Hair and we launched that in the summer and that was a video basically saying shaving is a choice, not an expectation. And we were the first women's razor to actually show body hair um, and acknowledge that it exists, which is crazy given that, you know, this category is like 100 years old in, in America. Um, but that, you know, that really resonated with women, shavers, non-shavers saying, you know, this is a brand that... that isn't trying to shame women for, and making them look a certain way. And so that that video that we created is, I think now has like 22 million views. It's It was covered in like 23 countries. Um, so hun- like a million and a half like engagements in terms of like likes and shares and comments. We were getting all these comments in languages we didn't even understand. Um, but yeah, just building building something that's more than just trying to sell product. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. This has been incredible. Great. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Georgie. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where brains meet beauty podcasts.
Thank you so much. We're done. Yay. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.